Thank you, Leslie and Paul. Good to see you all here today. Our weather is changing. It is January, though. <laughs> Let's take our Bibles and uh, turn with me, please, to the book of Acts, uh, Acts chapter 20. And uh, last week we looked at uh, Paul, literally how he was Jesus to those around him. And I think we still have a few points left on the board. And let's, uh, let's pick up the reading in Acts chapter 20, and I believe we'll start in verse 13. Acts chapter 20, verse 13. We went, in, we went before to ship and sailed unto Assos, there intending to take in Paul, for so he had appointed, binding himself to go afoot. When he met with us at Assos, we took him in and came to Mytilene. And we sailed thence and came the next day over against Chios, and the next day we arrived at Samos, and tarried at Trogillium, and the next day we came to Miletus. For Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus because he would not spend the time in Asia, for he hasted, if it were possible for him to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. When they were come to him, he said unto them, You know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have seen with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with tears with many tears, I'm sorry, and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching, the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to the, all the flock over the which the Holy Spirit, I'm sorry, the Holy Ghost hath given you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock." Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch, and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, you yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak, and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. And they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him unto the ship. 
May God add a special blessing in the reading of his word. And let's just pause for prayer before we begin our study. Father God, thank you for the day that you've given to us to gather around the word of God, that you've allowed us to be together and to lift up your name. Thank you for the opportunity we've had to even pray before you. Father, for all of the time that you listen to us. As we pour out our hearts' requests, we also want to be careful to praise you and to lift you up, that you would be glorified and honored. Father, now take us right where you want us, using the word that the Holy Spirit would guide and direct us. Clear our minds, and Father, fill it with yourself. We're here because we want to lift you up. Now, Father, lift yourself up through the word by the Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Last week, as we uh, continued on our journey through Acts, we found literally these four points in Paul's life, how he was Jesus to the world that he was serving. He was certainly one of encouragement. He taught everywhere he went. Uh, Giving, we, uh, as Laramie maybe puts the map back up on the wall, he has been very busy in uh, gathering an offering for for the saints back in Jerusalem. They have been suffering immensely, and we talked quite a bit about that again last week, reviewing the fact that to be a, to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem would not be easy, uh, certainly less than easy. It would be a, lo- a life of persecution. It would be one that would probably be very, very, very low on income. And so one of the things that Paul has done, literally gathering donations or offerings from Galatia, Asia, Macedonia, Greece, all of those areas with representatives that we named last week, they're on their, they, have a, they have a journey to go to. He was actually intending to go from Corinth and, and take a ship and come all the way over into Jerusalem. However, there was a plot that was unfolded in the sense there were Jews, those that hated Jesus Christ, but would have been on their way to go to the Passover in Jerusalem. That's what Paul originally intended to go. Uh, Fortunately for Paul, he found out before because I'm sure he would have been probably lying at the bottom of the ocean somewhere in here. They would have thrown him overboard, probably first killing him and then tossing him over. Well, Paul, through the leading of the Spirit, makes a new plan. He actually retraces his, his steps that he was on his third missionary journey, comes all the way back to Troas. That's where we found him last week. And we found a lot of things taking place. So we remember the young man that literally fell out the window at the third story. Um, he would have had... I mean, if you think about that very thing, all of those events would not have happened, literally, again, if the enemy had not tried to kill Paul. God used all of those events, literally, to again glorify himself. Um, But then, as we left you last week uh, in Troas, after having that (laughs) all-nighter, and it literally was, they met on a Sunday, it was a worship service on a Sunday evening, it's described for us, and that evening went into midnight. And that's when the young man basically fell asleep, fell out the third story window, and was dead. And Paul, it says, embraced him. That's the word that's used. And he, became, he was resurrected, came back to life. And then Paul just went on preaching till dawn. <laughs> and you think I'm long-winded. <laughs> and I'm not going to go after Paul. That's a, see, it's not on there to copy him the length of time that he taught, right? So aren't you glad of that? At any rate, at the break of day, this is, and this again, I was thinking the last point was his availability. He had been available, and Paul was still working. He was still a tent maker. He was still involved in a career to, as it's even saying today, he depended on no one else. Now, there were times that offerings came, but at the same time, he contended to make his own living and for those uh, the others around him. However, um, after that all-nighter, 
it says that we, and that would be uh, Dr. Luke has joined the team. He's been on this journey now, and he's said that we, the team, has entered a boat at Troas, but it says that Paul was continuing on foot. What? I'm sure that what he was doing was taking those disciples, because he had been there just a very short time, and he said, I'll tell you what, let's walk another 20 miles, and in the meantime, I'm going to teach you more. I'm going to teach you more. And so he walks 20 miles while the ship goes 30 miles. And the next day, they pick him up. And then it names all of these little places, uh, Mytilene, and then Chios, and Samos, and all of those literally were kind of island kind of situations. And more than likely, if you think about sailing, they didn't come with a lot of motors. It was all by wind. So to travel 30 miles in a day on a ship probably was very, that was probably the right length of time. So it would have been a day's journey. Um, <clears throat> and just a completely useful tidbit of information. Samos, how many mathematicians do we have in the room? No one's going there, are they? <laughs> All right. Well, Pythagoras, no, he's, he's going no. There was fingers pointing, but he was going no. And at any rate, there was a man by Pythagoras, and if you were knowing A squared plus B squared equals C squared, any right angle triangle was Mr. Pythagoras, and he was born in Samos. Aren't we glad to know that information? <laughs> not really, not really. You can hide that one anywhere you'd like, <laughs> okay? But, but you can look him up, and that's where he was literally. Born in 570 BC. Um, with that behind us, um, I'm, I'm not sure, but it seems to me that this, it's very clear from what Luke says that he intended not to go to Ephesus, Paul, because he knew if he went there, he would be detained. And he's on a mission. He's already spent about 16 days if you go from Philippi. This is past Passover. That's where he celebrated Philippi. I remember that last week, okay? From Philippi now, and they're all the way over here to Miletus. They've spent about 16 days of the 50 because he's trying to get from Passover to Pentecost, which is 50 days, and he wants to be there at the Feast of Pentecost to give the offering to Jerusalem. Now, you can see why he's in a hurry. If he would have went to Ephesus, can you imagine the friendship banquets they would have had? He was there the longest period of time of anywhere that Paul ministered was three years. Can you imagine stepping into the church at Ephesus again? Oh, they'd have swarmed him, right? But it doesn't seem like he would have thought about it. It was almost an afterthought because when he gets to Miletus, which is 30 miles from Ephesus, and you could actually have hooked a boat or a ship from Ephesus as well, but he chose not to. But it was interesting. They must have landed at Miletus for a short period of days or even a couple of days, to probably take cargo on, take cargo off. We're not told, but it, as soon as he gets Miletus, he says, ah, looks like we're going to be off for a couple of days. I'm going to go ahead and have the elders, the leaders of the church at Ephesus, come and meet me here. I don't dare go there. Now, you know he would have, but he would have lost precious time. He wanted to stay seaport. So somehow he sends a runner, sends a messenger. He didn't get on his cell phone. That would have been the easy way, right? But he sends messengers to Ephesus. Now, it's interesting. They came immediately, and they knew who they were. He would have called for the leaders or the elders of the church. We'll be getting to that in a moment. And they came to find Paul at Miletus, waiting for the ship to continue on to its journey into Jerusalem. That's the whole scope of where we are contextually. Now, if you think about Paul, it seems obvious from the end of his, his fair, it is a farewell address. He says he'll never see these guys again. 
What will you say in these moments that, again, must have been just given at the very last moment? Paul said, hey, if we're going to be here a couple of days, let me send somebody to go get the elders from Ephesus. It seems like it's very edgy. It's very what's impromptu. That's a better word. And he says, let's, I, I need to visit with him. This will be my last time I've probably ever seen him. How he knew that, I don't know. But it was, as a matter of fact. As they come to see him, I'm wondering what's on his heart. You can see that there's very significant issues that he wants to lay out, that he wants to lay down. He's literally, in these first number of verses, he's going to be talking to them in regards to the dimensions of the ministry, of his ministry. And he wants them to catch a hold of that. We find those first verses, and before, probably before we do that, it's interesting the words that he uses to describe the ones that have come. Um, there are, you'll find the word elder, I think it's in verse 17. You'll have the word elder, and that doesn't just mean older. And then you have in verse 28, I believe it is, um, overseers. Okay, same people. And then also within that verse, in verse 28, you see that they were made overseers to feed the church of God. That word actually um, would translate into a pastor. Now, all three of those literally would mean the same thing. Um, Presbutos, uh, which would be the Greek term of uh, an elder, which which you actually get Presbyterian from, which would be mature, uh, a mature leader, if you will. Uh, bishop, or overseer, would come from a word called episcopus. Now, you don't have to use your imagination too much to know that it probably would be a down road that we would have got the word episcopal from. Again, to be an overseer, to be a leader. Um, I'm thinking about this whole, for just a moment, just afford me a parenthesis if you don't mind, um, how easily over the course of time, This is about these people right here. These are all the same. It's the same thought. And a pastor, pastoras, again, would be the word it's coming from. But it would be, these are the spiritual leaders of the church. Your job, guys, is to make sure that truth is sent out. And it's pure and it's unadulterated. I'm thinking of those two terms that actually there are church names or denominations by today that have failed as mainline. I mean, I'm not saying there's not a, a church somewhere that is wearing that name that has been true to the word. I'm not suggesting that. Something that's autonomous. But the group in and of itself are just like the church at Ephesus. We're going to go there when we end our passage today in Revelation chapter 2. The, Ephes- the Ephesian church failed to hold true to the, fir- to the truth. That's the message today is how amazingly important it is to sustain truth within the church. You even look at our government, which, again, in the 1700s, is God. It's not an inspired document. The Constitution is amazing to me. As you study it and you watch that there were human minds that are praying to a God. Now, I'm not saying everyone in that room was a Christian. But I am to say that every time they met to define a document, to break away from a nation they should have never been able to break away from. It's crazy. It's one in a million shot. And yet they got the truth right. They got the part that it's more important to worship God than to be connected to a government that doesn't believe in the true God. And they won. And they wrote a document called the Constitution that is amazing. And within it, 
gives us borderlines for truth and what's right. How we have erred, how we have moved away as a nation from what we know to be true. In fact, we're trying to even extinguish history that proves what took place. That's how far we've moved. But we shouldn't be surprised. The Bible is full of the courses of even God's chosen people, the Israelites. The book of Judges is one of those books. If you would like to read that in the, la- in the next week, just take a couple of chapters a day It'll, or whatever it takes to go through the book of Judges. You will find just in one generation how quickly they forgot who God was. It's amazing, but it's not amazing. <laughs> you just think about the fact of what took place in the Israelites as they, were, as they came from Egypt. Now, I'm going to just say, I think if I would have watched us, this is, let's say this group here, was released from Israel, I'm sorry, from Egypt, and we would go and we'd be cornered between the Red Sea and the Egyptians coming at a high rate of speed. In fact, the dust is coming up. And they'd say, what, did you bring us out here to die? And Moses is a bit, he's, he's concerned. God says, just go ahead and put your staff. Whoosh, the walls go up, and it's, in my mind, it's a huge wall of water. And the wind blows and it's dry. Not only did you not have to go across on mud, you got to go across dry land. God provides everything. And they did. And then, just as fast as the walls went up, the walls came down and the Egyptians drowned. I don't know about you, that would have went a long ways for me. <laughs> Wouldn't have it? In fact, in fact, that is really literally the story. And I'm saying story, the factual story. This isn't a, fi- a fictitious fairy tale. This literally happened. I'll tell you why. Rahab used that one story to become in the line of Jesus Christ. And she was a Gentile prostitute in Jericho. And she said, we've heard about you people. As the spies came in, how easy it would have been her to just give them over to the, to the leaders. This is another thing that's interesting. I don't know how I got here because it's not my notes. But it is so interesting to me that Rahab, who lived a very off-color life in a Gentile city that knew nothing of God, had heard about God's chosen people and how he had rescued them, made them escape Egypt, and she's clinging to that as truth. She said, we have heard about you. And literally, you have to be honest, as the king of Jericho's men came because they thought they heard of traitors, of, of uh, spies coming in from Israel. What are they up to? Because we've heard they're coming across into their quote-unquote chosen land. They're, they're, God has given the chosen people the land. And they met her, and they asked her, are they here? She lied, didn't she? You can come up with no other answer. She lied because she still trusted God more than she trusted those people. She knew who was going to win. That was faith in God, not faith in men. Like the two women that were actually in Egypt prior before. They were the midwives. Pharaoh had commanded them, kill all of the male children. What did they do? They disobeyed the king. You see, those days have been through all of history. Peter was told not to preach the gospel anymore. And he says, I must obey God rather than men. It's all through the Bible. There will come a time in this nation, the way we're headed, 
that you will have to make a choice. Who will we obey? Some governmental law that is literally, again, I'm coming back to the Constitution. Our Constitution is so brilliantly written that within the confines of it, it actually makes sure that those acting as government officials are giving credence or obedience or allegiance to the document, the Constitution, which is the best for us under God's name. And when they're not, they're illegitimate. And when you write a law that's illegitimate, then you must choose between God and man. Friends, we're moving at a rapid pace. I feel that's one of the reasons, honestly, that the next schedule on the event, this next event on the schedule, I said it wrong, is for us to be captured, to be snatched, to be caught in the air to meet Jesus Christ. Looking at the speed of which we're approaching this is amazing. This war in Israel today, it's not going to stop where they think it's going to stop. It will continue. You can feel it. Ezekiel 38 and 39 have never made more sense than right now. My point is, how did I get that far away from what we're doing? Is the fact adherence to truth, adherence to the word of God is first and foremost for me to you. That is number one for me to make sure that I give you the truth. There's nothing more important for me to do. There's nothing more that I get on my knees and before in the word of God, I want to know what is the truth so that I can share it with you, God's chosen people. And I can't believe how many times Paul says, teach the truth. Watch, protect, keep the truth. Now, of the four dimensions that Paul speaks of, we find the first one is the fact that he looks at it from the perspective of God. Uh, looking at verse 19, and we should just look at verse 18. <laughs> he calls for the elders to come, and they came. They boom, they come. They, they want to see him as badly as, as he wants to see them. From the first day that I came into Asia, he's revealing, he's recount, recounting what had taken place. After what manner I have seen with you all seasons. I've been with you from the very beginning. And look at verse 19. Serving the Lord with all humility of mind would totally be Paul. His first ministry objective and direction or dimension would be that he served God. That was his number one most important thing that he could possibly do was to serve God. Uh, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 31. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31. <clears throat> Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do. Now what's left? <laughs> I don't know. It says do all of that to the glory of God. That's literally how Paul's life was lived. He served God. Now, one of the things uh, that I have to be careful of is that when I'm bringing the truth, God's word to you, and again, if, if I come into this place one time, one time, just one time, and I don't use the word of God to speak to truth to you, you just show me the door. Because I can't give you truth without God's word. I can't do it. It's impossible. And that's a starting point. It's one of the things, if I'm, if I'm ministering to someone else, and I say the Bible says, and they say, we don't care what the Bible says, we think the Bible is a joke. Well, that, I've got to stop then, because at that point, I'm going to encourage that person, man or woman or whoever, I'm going to say, then what you need to do, first of all, is you need to prove that the Bible's not true. Because if it is true, I've got a lot of things that I can share with you. I can share the fact that you're a sinner, and you're lost, and you cannot save yourself, and God, before the foundation of the world, created the idea to save you through Jesus Christ. 
His Son. That's fabulous news. That's the gospel of the grace of God. But if you don't think it's true, you need to prove it's not true. You need to prove that over the course of 1,500 years, 66 books were written by 40 different people, and it all coincides. Try that sometime. If I gave you guys, there's not even 40 of us here today, but I said, well, we're going to write 66 books. I don't know how we're going to do it, we're going to write it over 1,500 years. Now, have you, have you noticed what's happened in the nation's history of the United States over a little over 250 years now? Uh, it's very different, isn't it? Now, think of that. To have the same message over 1,500 years is miraculous because it's of God. You've got a lot of proving to do if you say the Bible's not true. Better get started. That's my message to someone that doesn't believe. But in the meantime, for you, you're here because you believe the Bible's true. I'm going to pick it up every single Sunday and every single day, and I'm going to say, this is what the Word says. And if I stop doing that, <laughs> there's the door, buddy. There's the door. Now, there are those that have walked away. There was a man that I asked a number of weeks ago, maybe months ago, by the name of Bruce. He served in the pastorate for, I forget now, it's 25 or 30 years. He no longer believes the Bible is true. He says it's a joke. It's beyond a joke. It's actually wrong in every way. I pity that man's soul. I really do. How do you walk away from truth? We don't want to ever do that. And I can lead you to the churches in Ephesus primarily in Revelation 2.2. They walked away from truth ultimately. The church at Ephesus, which was profoundly energetic. I mean, can you imagine the enthusiasm of these guys coming to meet Paul? They came to meet him because they loved him and they loved the message. They're not there anymore. That's part of Turkey. Do you know what Turkey is today? It's, it's Islamic. The Christian community, and I didn't do the math. I didn't check it out. You can do your own. Do your own research. The percentage of Christians within Turkey is so small, I can't even tell you what it would be. How did that happen? We left truth behind. We left truth behind. But here's the important part. This is probably how it happens. If, I was make, if, I, if my first, first priority was to come before you and make you feel good, do you see where that's going? Then I wouldn't hear and I wouldn't be serving God. Above all, I must serve God so that I serve you the real truth. Now, if I come with, and this happens, by the way, Let's see now. Ooh, the largest givers to the church. We want to make sure not to offend them. We want them all to feel good. This is a feel-good session. And there are literally thousands of churches across this nation that are more impressed with pleasing people than serving truth. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25 for a moment. Proverbs chapter 29. I hope this is right. 29, 25. Yeah, there it is. <clears throat> the fear of man bringeth a snare, <laughs> and whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. That's a description of Paul. He really didn't care who he spoke the truth to, nor should I. My job is to serve God. My job is to serve God. And your job, now the other thing, it's, it has a, a, a tone of leadership here. It, and, and, and it is. It's spiritual leadership. He's speaking to the spiritual leaders of Ephesus. But I'm going to say this. Every single one of you in this room today is a leader of someone. There's someone that is looking to you. There is someone that is following you at some level, whether it's a grandchild, whether it's a sister, whether it's a brother, whatever. The same concepts fit perfectly. Truth 
must be kept pure. So he served God. That's his point. He's serving God. He's glorifying God at every level. Back to Acts chapter 20. And he says, with all humility of mind. Again, we, we used, we're actually sprung board off of the Christmas message, if you will, that this, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. The sense of his fully taking humility by taking on the form of man and all of the things he left behind, his privilege, his position, to give life to you and me. Now it says, with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. Not only is there the sense of serving God, but there's also the sense that it's in humility, but it's also to endure suffering. You think about tears. Now, he mentions it right there, that it was with many tears. So what did, what did Paul, what emotionally grabbed him so that he was tearful, that he was crying out? Let's take a look at a few of them. Let's go to Romans. Uh, take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 9. Uh, this was a, a book that he had just recently written from the stage, the context in which he's traveling, um, in Romans chapter 9 and verse 2 and 3. It says, in, we'll start in verse 1, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ, for my brethren the kinsmen according to the flesh. In other words, he is broken up and really weeping for the lost. He would literally, think of this for a moment. This is the love he has for the saints, or for people, the lost particularly. If literally, I would give up my salvation if I could save the Jews. Whoa. That's massive. That is massive. So he cried for the lost. But he also, let's go to 2 Corinthians. Uh, what do you, if I was going to say the Corinthians, what would you say? One word, what would you say? Maybe you wouldn't say a word then, okay? Immorality. Yeah, uh, carnal. That's the word. Carnal Corinthians. I mean, they were people, well, they not only lived on the edge, they were on the flesh side of almost everything. Second Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 4, Paul, again, has written to these uh, 28 chapters total, First and Second Corinthians. Verse 4 of chapter 2, he says, For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote unto you, that now was the first letter, with what? Many tears. Many tears. It broke him. It tore him up for weak Christians. Now, there's another one. Um, let's go to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 18. There's another thing that brought Paul to tears. We'll find it here in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 18. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Another thing that brought him to tears was false teachers. The lost, the weak Christians, and the false teachers all brought tears to Paul's eyes. And we also know along with suffering, it's not only internal, and tears would be that, and many of you, I'm sure. In fact, if you're living on this planet, you will suffer internally. There will be suffering. Uh, if, you're, if you're a disciple of Christ, there's no question. If you live a life that Christ wants you to live, there will be persecution. It's not a matter of if, it's when. And internal suffering. And they're suffering from many ways. Maybe the death of a family member or a deep sickness. Uh, 
even as we're praying, and then we'll get into this in a moment, it's another part of a dimension of even teaching or to the church is to pray and to study. There's, uh, in Paul's, as we were mentioning prayer requests today, and ladies have a group, literally a prayer group. I can't tell you how many people you've touched with that. It's crazy. And we're praying for people. And you know what? It works. It works. And even if, this is, the, this is the point that's even bigger, is even if God chooses to take that one home, what in the meantime it's done is it's, pro, it's taken our wills closer to his, and it makes us more mature and more strong. And we're not concerned about, literally, in the sense of, if, that's a, if that person is saved, they're safe in the arms of Jesus. We're left behind hurt and grieving. But is there not something to know of the fact of complete fulfillment and knowing that Jesus has protected them through the death, resurrection, and the death, burial, and resurrection of himself? It says in here even, his own blood purchased us. If I didn't have that, I wouldn't be here today. You remember the three questions. If someone's struggling, I think, was it? Oh, Paul, you mentioned it. I'll leave him nameless because I don't even remember him. He said the Bible was a bunch of fairy tales. Okay? There's a lot of that out there today that believe that or don't believe it, right? There's still three questions. If you're living and you have reasoning, you can figure right and wrong, you're old enough to comprehend, where did I come from? And if you say evolution, keep studying. <laughs> keep studying. <laughs> Miss that one. Number two, why am I here? That's a big one. Now, again, someone that would say the Bible is a book of fairy tales, they're most of the time they would say, I'm here to please me. Now, they may not say that out loud, but it's, it's really, what, what else is there? And then thirdly, where am I going? Those three questions will define how you live. And hopefully, will make you part the curtains to find out really what is at the basis of all of this. How did, how did all of this happen? I mean, do we just wander around for 70 years or 80 years? Just wander around? Is that all there is? It's got to be more than that. And you think the diabolical enemy of Satanism and how he does this. You take a look at the things that are capturing our, 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 our society today. Transgenderism. That is a lie from hell. But Because if you think about that, we're to accept that. Just for a moment, please. That means that if I accept it, then everybody should be that. At that point, what happens to civilization? It's gone. In one generation, it would be over. And we were made in the image of God. Who do you think is behind that? Satanists. It has nothing to do with what I think. That is a lie from Satan. That's why the Bible says so clearly in the very beginnings of the Genesis book, and man was made in the image of God. And he made male and female. I don't know how to make that clearer. That's false teaching having crept in. Do you see how far we're off base right now? And this is worldwide. It's crazy. That's what happens when error is allowed to proceed. Serving God. He did it meticulously. He did it tirelessly, and he did endure suffering. He endured persecution. In fact, it was even told of him. Let's go back to Acts chapter 9. This is where Jesus Christ literally laid him out. The light was so bright that he lost his vision. He could not see. And there's something that's said in that encounter. 
Uh, Acts chapter 9, we'll start in verse 13. Now, Ananias is the one that he went to ultimately see. When Ananias answered, Lord, verse 13, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all the call in the name. In other words, Lord, I think you have the wrong guy. I think, I think, I think, I think that you should not have me meet that guy because he hates Christians. He persecutes Christians. He's at war with Christians. Right? <laughs> A little bit of arguing. I don't think I should see that guy. And the Lord said in verse 15, go thy way. For he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. Watch verse 16. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. In fact, I'm sure that even Ananias would have shared that with Paul as he came. And Paul was able to see his sight. He also saw his future. In fact, all through the book of Acts where Paul has entered in after he was saved, you will see, in fact, he's journeying with continued persecution, not knowing where it's going to end. In fact, he's literally, the, the Holy Spirit is even telling him that there's nothing but tribulation and persecution ahead. You know what? He just doggedly, purposely just continues on. Not in any way, in any way, shape, or form, tainted from moving on for the sole purpose of giving men and women the gospel of Jesus Christ. Never, not one moment. He was focused on pleasing God. The next dimension that he talks about is the fact the church, teaching. That's the, that's the purpose that he certainly was giving to the church. All of those that not only God loved, but the ones that Jesus Christ died for. Now it says in, uh, let's go to uh, verse 20, uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 20. And it says, and how I kept back nothing... That was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. Uh, and that's interesting about Paul. There was nowhere that he wasn't going to teach somebody. <laughs> you know, he did it publicly, started in the synagogue, and then as he got kicked out, of, thinking of Ephesus now, these would be people that he would have been talking to, the one that the church had been founded, and we've got, some, we've got some leaders here, some overseers. And he says, you know, you saw me teaching publicly, but also if somebody wanted to be taught in the home, I was right there too. I was available to give you truth. That was always his oversight in the sense of the church, was teaching, 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 teaching. In fact, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, just turn there. This is in that book that we're speaking to the leaders of. In verse 11, he says this, Ephesians 4, 11, And he gave some apostles, like me, Paul, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. And then there's a semicolon. He says why? For the perfecting or the lifting up, the, the encouragement of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's the purpose of teaching, to lift them up, to build them, to equip them. That's even another good word. But the word that came to me in verse 20, back in Acts chapter 20, 20, was profitable. What does profitable mean? What's profitable? I, I only spoke things that were profitable to you. Now, in our world, what does profitable mean? We made more money. <laughs> right? Go ahead. It's, it's okay. Where do you take the word profitable out of our society and make it mean anything other than that? That word is really almost out of place, isn't it? Profitable. I said things that were profitable to you. In other words, you can make money with them. No, it's bigger than that. So let's actually go to the scripture and let's see where we find what he was obviously alluding to. 
Let's go to 2 Timothy. Now, as you're turning to 2 Timothy, we'll have a number of those verses today. Um, I don't know if you knew this or not, but you know who the pastor was of Ephesus? Timothy. In fact, we'll pick it up in 1 Timothy chapter 1 for just, just briefly, and then I want to go to where I told you to go. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3. This is the first letter to Timothy. He's encouraging him. He's building him up. He's trying to make him a great man of God. Verse 3 of chapter 1, 1 Timothy. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Isn't it amazing? That's his first words in chapter, three, chapter 1, verse 3. Timothy, I want you to preach sound, solid truth to the people at Ephesus. But now turn to 2 Timothy, where I wanted you to go first. Chapter 3, and let's have a look at verses 15 and 16. And that from a child thou, this is speaking to Timothy, thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. It's profitable for truth. Did you see that? Maybe profitable means something different today to you then. It's not just in Wall Street. It's not just in the, what's the name of that uh, financial, Wall Street Journal, I guess it is. In the Wall Street Journal, what if you say that the Bible is profitable? (laughs) It truly is. Right there it is. It's profitable for doctrine. Every single word of the scripture is profitable to these Ephesians, these Ephesian leaders particularly. I've given you only what was profitable, and all of scripture is that, in Acts chapter 20, 20. I've done it publicly. I've done it privately. But that's not the first and only time. Turn with me back to Psalm chapter 40. David actually practiced in the same thing the teaching of others. Uh, Psalm chapter 40, verses 9 and 10. Psalm chapter 40, verses 9 and 10. This is a, a psalm of David. I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my lips, O Lord, thou knowest. I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. That's exactly what Paul is saying. To teach the church the whole truth and nothing but the truth. I have one other verse in, uh, are you, where are you guys at? Are you still in 2 Timothy or do you go to Psalms? Okay, let's turn back to 2 Timothy for a moment. I'm, I have it written in, uh, in the uh, side of my notes. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. I, oh, yeah, absolutely. This is, this is our job, literally. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. You may not be a pastor. You may not be an elder. You may not, but I'll tell you what. You are this, uh, just as Timothy was exhorted by Paul. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Just like the Bereans were commended for studying the scriptures to see what was said by Paul if it was totally, totally true. So the two of the dimensions that, Paul is speaking to the Ephesians about was God as serving and the church as teaching. Let's go back to verse 21 of Acts chapter 20 and let's look at another description, another dimension, if you will. And he talks about the lost. How did he address those, a dimension? Verse 21, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. He attacked it with evangelism. His dimension that he 
in the regards to the, to the lost was evangelism. Let's go to Romans chapter 1 for a moment. Romans chapter 1, and we'll look at a couple of verses there. Romans chapter 1, verse 14. Romans 1, 14. I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise, to the unwise. Verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That's the only way to be saved. That's just exactly what he said, no matter what. Now, there's two facets of evangelism. Or, uh, yeah, I would say, so let's say salvation. There's two facets to it. And, and uh, just, let's, because it's important. How do you get saved? If, if someone was to ask you that question, how do you get saved, what would you say? Okay? What would you say? There are actually two things. There's a turning away from and there's a turning to. A one without the other, I don't believe, is complete. Now, let's start by going to Acts chapter 2. This was the beginning of the church, the beginning of those followers of Jesus Christ at the Feast of Pentecost, which actually, incidentally, is the feast that Paul is hurrying to, to, uh, to meet up with in Jerusalem. But Acts chapter 2, Peter is giving a, he's giving a sermon. He's teaching truth. He's teaching those that, and this would be a difficult group, let me say. Where was this at? Again, I, I, I'm sorry, but I've got to reiterate for a moment. So, uh, Peter is in Jerusalem. Okay, they're there at the Feast of Pentecost. And he's teaching because the Holy Spirit has come on them. This, now, he's, I'll tell you what, you talk about a waking moment. I mean, the attention is got by all of those people. All of a sudden, there's 120 people that are disciples of Jesus Christ that have this flame of fire that they can see. There's no other way they would have known that they would have gotten the Holy Spirit, right? That's for, that's for the presence of those people that day to literally say this is a new coming of the Holy Spirit to the church, which is new, and Peter says, and they're, they're saying, these guys are, what are, they, what are they drunk? This is weird. They're, they're saying stuff that I don't understand. But you know what? All of those who were gathered from all around the world, remember they named all of these places, Bithynia and Pontus and Cappadocia and all of those places, they had in their own mother tongue the works of Jesus Christ that were clearly in a language they could understand. That's what's taking place. And Peter uses that as a, beginning point, as a launching point, and he describes in this group that would be very anti-Jesus. I have to be honest. It would be anti-Jesus. They just killed him 50 days ago. You think he just got popular in 50 days? You've got to be kidding me. It would be worse than trying to preach Jesus in downtown whatever city in the United States today, and there's plenty of opposition there. And Peter all of a sudden just laid it out, and the conviction of the Holy Spirit was it was unbelievable, because let's watch at the end of the sermon. But I want to see, what I want you to see is how what he asked them to do. Let's keep going. Let's go to the very end of this, verse 32, chapter 2. This Jesus hath God raised up. This Jesus. <laughs> the one you just killed, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has, shed, he has shed forth this, which you now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Whoa. That's like getting it right in there, right? Now, when they heard this, verse 37, they were pricked in their heart. They were convicted. They said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? What are we going to do? And he answers, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The two aspects to salvation 
is repentance, number one. What is repentance? What can you tell me about repentance? Turning away. Okay. Change of mind. Okay. So it takes a change of mind to have a change of behavior or a change in lifestyle, right? Okay. So if I'm walking this way, repentance would what? Turn me around and turn 10 degrees and just kind of angle off. <laughs> you ever have a 10 degree repentance or a 20? That's, that's even further, right? You, you know what I'm saying. This always, I always think of this. I'm sorry. It just pops in my mind. I know I've shared it too many times, but uh, a good friend of mine, which you may or may not have known, Bob Powell. He's passed away now, but he used to live on Wisconsin Creek. He was a fuel guy for McLeod for years. But he, he was a missionary in Paraguay. And there was someone that gave the, the, uh, the mission that he was serving with there, I'm going to say the tribe, they gave him a piece of property. And it was, you know, and I'm going to say, if you just go to Paraguay, it's not like buying Section 6 on township whatever here. You know, it's already been clearly, no, 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 no. There was no marks. There was no nothing. So, you know, didn't even know Bob Paul? He was not a guy to wait. There was no patience in him anywhere, anyhow, for any period of time. Go, 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 go. That reminds me of someone else, actually. But anyway, <laughs> so, here, so he gets a cat because they're going to clear this path. They're going to, you know, to, to establish this, what you're going to have to just basically plow through the jungle, right? So he gets the cat there, and he's ready to go. Well, again, there's no boundaries. So the guy that's doing the surveying says, we have to have a clear night to be able to see the stars so that I can tell where our line is. And see, isn't that interesting? The creation of God. Now, this is off, this, again, a parenthesis. Isn't that cool? We can literally gauge what's going to happen from the significance of how perfectly identifiable our universe is rolling along uniformly. That's crazy. It didn't just happen. Okay, well, guess what happens? And I don't, I don't know this part, of the, I might get this wrong, but the point of the matter was, it was a cloudy night, followed by a cloudy night, followed by a cloudy night, and Bob is going crazy. We got to get going. We got to get going. I'm paying for this cat. We got to get going. And the guy says, I cannot be accurate unless I have. I got to see this constellation so that I can line it up and I can see what I'm going to do. And that would be over my head, right? I don't get, I don't know how you can do that, but this guy was very confident, and Bob was very confident in him. He says, here's what we're going to do. Tomorrow morning, we're going to get on that cat, and we're going to take off, and we'll be close. <laughs> Doesn't this sound like a bad idea? And you know what? Most of the time, people, when we make decisions spiritually on emotionalism, we get it wrong. We get it wrong. But his idea was, if I start, at least I started, and I won't be that far off. Doesn't that sound just like error and truth? Just a little bit. So compromise does. Well, guess what? He takes off, and they cut away. And about two days later, the sun's out. I'm sorry, the stars are out. And the guy lines it up. And Bob said this. He says, I could not believe how far off we were. <laughs> Here's the deal. If you don't have a foundation to base your truth on, there's no way for you to know where you're at. Somebody that tells me that they just make it up or they're their own truth, they have no idea how far off base they are. You must have some compass. You must have something fixed, some foundation. That's called the Word of God. And if you don't believe it, then I absolutely, absolutely, absolutely ask you to spend every waking moment of your being to prove that that is not true. Because if it is, it's totally different. As that surveyor would have seen, 
<laughs> and Bob said, we wasted a lot of time. See, isn't that interesting? We thought we were saving time, but we wasted time. Isn't that true? When we live lives without truth, we've missed where we're going. That's what Paul is saying about all of this. He wanted the truth, the full gospel of the grace of God to be given to those that are lost. But repentance is the first and the foremost way. Without repentance, I don't believe that you can be saved. Now, that comes from the second thing, and that is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is fully trusting. That's not just believe that Jesus Christ was, because you know what? There's a whole host, an innumerable amount of demons that believe that Jesus Christ is. In fact, if you notice all through the Gospels, there would be demons that would recognize who Jesus were before any of the humans. And you know what he said in every single case? Don't say anything. Stop. That always bugged me. Why not? They said what he was. But did you notice, this is where it opened up for me, was I was studying in Acts, and there was a little girl, young girl, that was following behind Paul, and just continued to say, these are men of the Most High God, and they know the way to salvation. That's true. But it was said by a demon. God never uses demons or liars to promote truth. Because at that point, that little girl would have entered into the, that church. Because if she said one true thing, then that means that everything's true. No, that's exactly how Satan works. He is an angel of light sometimes. There is a religion today, a cult today, that is literally operating under the guise that he got something from an angel of light. And I say, so what? Second Corinthians chapter 11. Doesn't matter. Does it match up with Scripture? Do you see how important this is? It's amazing. But again, faith in the Lord Jesus, the right Jesus. Now we looked last, was it last week? We said there's another Jesus. Paul was, was saying, don't find another Jesus. Don't follow another Jesus. There's only one, the one I told you about. How did you err, talking to the Galatians? How did you move to another Jesus or another gospel? When someone says there's another gospel, that's error. That's wrong. There's one gospel. It's Jesus Christ. One gospel. How did you err so quickly? Repentance is turning, if you're walking this way, you change your mind first, because if you change directions without changing your mind, listen carefully, there's a difference between repentance and remorse. And you're nodding, aren't you? Tell me someone that had remorse. Judas Iscariot. Tell me another one. Saul. King Saul. The one that was elected by the people because he was the coolest, most handsome, dark. Oh, he was amazing, right? Wasn't he something? He was a complete disaster because his heart wasn't right. Judas Iscariot. There's a man that walked with Jesus for three years, and yet his heart was dark. Now, he, after seeing what happened to Jesus, knowing how, what a terrible offense he had done, it says he went on and hung himself. Was that repentance? It was remorse. Again, what's the difference? Repentance is turning away from sin and hating sin. Remorse is hating the consequences of sin. You see the difference? It's a big difference. So, You've got all of these people walking this way, and Paul, I'm sorry, Peter has just, this is Acts chapter 2, he has just stopped them dead in their tracks. 
That Jesus that you said was a fraud, that Jesus that you said was not a Messiah, that Jesus that you said was not the Son of God, that Jesus that you hung on a cross, that Jesus that you killed, that you buried, that Jesus is the Messiah. You see, you have to take by faith, you believe what you've heard to be true. That's what's based on the Word of God. You cannot have faith in Jesus Christ without understanding who He is. Faith cometh by hearing, Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. The Holy Spirit used the Word of God on these people from out of the Old Testament, no less. Now, once they heard that, they stopped dead in their tracks. He said, what do we do? He says, repent, turn around, and go the other way. And then it says, to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Again, it's one thing for those people living in Jerusalem to say, I've accepted Christ by faith, and I've repented, I've turned the other way from my sin, and I've, faith is turning toward God. You see the turning towards, the turning away. Those two facets are involved in salvation. But you know what would be harder than that? That's why Peter said it. Was in the face of all of those anti-Jesus people to get in front of them and to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ because I believe he is the Son of God. Now that's a line of demarcation. That's what it will be like literally in the tribulation for those that have trusted Christ in the face of the most anti-God scenario this world has ever known. You loathed out will be killed immediately. But there are those that still, a lot of people will make it to the end of the tribulation. I can't begin to tell you how difficult that will be, though. Whatever it was to be a, a Christian in, in Jerusalem will be a million times worse in the tribulation period. When someone tells me, well, once I see the rapture happen, then I'll know that it's real. And then I'll just, no, you won't. No, you won't. If you couldn't do it here, you certainly won't do it then. And that's not very far away. I'm convinced we're not very far away. I'm not trying to pick a date. I'm just watching. I'm watching all of the time events going on and how it's all starting to make sense. It's all starting to make sense. Is the Antichrist living? What a great question. There's a lot of Antichrists. The Antichrist syndrome, the Antichrist personification is alive and well. Now, again, the Antichrist is what? When I say Antichrist, you say against Christ. No, it's, it could be, but it's anything other than Christ. You see the danger of idolatry? <laughs> it's anything that sucks you in except for Jesus. That's why Paul always went straight, straight with the message. Repent and trust Christ. He loved the disciple. I'm sorry, he loved the, the, the lost because he was serving God. Uh, I would like to, now it's interesting. We have repentance and we have faith. Now, that's not just a New Testament concept. Think with me for a moment. Now, this is not a Paul. This guy that we're going to talk about now, and I'm going to have to speed it up. I'm not going to get as far today as I thought I was going to get, right? First of all. And you say, that's a shock. <laughs> That's a shock. Okay, so let's think Old Testament for a moment now, okay? Now, I just said repentance and faith. That's to turn around. That's to change belief. You've been hit with truth. This is it. This is, this is what America, this is why we're in so deep trouble. We don't even know we need a Savior. I'm speaking for the nation now. We don't even know we need a Savior because we're rich and we're famous and we're this and we're that and we got all the stuff and blah, blah, blah. That sounds like one of the churches that Jesus Christ spoke of. No, we're bankrupt. We're deficit. We are in a spiritual famine. We're in a drought that you can't even imagine. Truth hits them square away. 
they re and they turn around and they go the other way. That would be a most unlikely sort. This one I'm thinking of was a prophet. He was a prophet that was, shall we say, a bit resistant to his calling. He wasn't exactly excited about who he was going to give this message to, because he himself personally was not like Paul. He hated these people. Now, how effective can that be? Now, wait a minute. Now, this, the effectiveness of Paul, I'm saying this because still the Holy Spirit and God overpower even sometimes the resistance we, as a Christian, even lack of or resistance that we have. So this man's name, I know you know who I'm talking about now. His name is Jonah. Jonah. So Jonah says, after God says, hey, I want you to go to the city of Nineveh. Now, how many of you know how many people lived in Nineveh? I heard a lot. Yeah, that's, that's good. Okay, that's, so just to give you an idea, how many people live in Montana currently? About a million, right? It's about a million. It used to be, I used to say 800,000, and now I'm wrong to say that. It's about a million, right? A million people, okay? In the city of Nineveh, there were 600,000 men. Whoa! <laughs> okay? That's a big place. And they didn't know God. And Jonah was told, this is one guy, this is the largest evangelistic crusade ever that I know of by one man that didn't want to do it. He hated the Ninevites. They hated the Jews. And God said, uh, so he's going to say, no, Jonah, I got, a, got, a, got something for you to do. I want you to go to Nineveh. And he's thinking, all right, let's curse those bad boys. And he says, I want you to go and to, to give them the message. And then the more he thought about it, you know, I probably can't trust God because they'll probably turn around and then he'll love them. <laughs> so what does he do? If I had a map up here, I'd show you that he was supposed to go that away, and he went that away, 900 miles. Gets on a ship, takes off. But you know, if he hadn't done that, we wouldn't know how powerful a God really is. What if he had just went and done exactly what God had would have done? We would have called him not Jonah, we would have called him Polona, probably. I don't know, because he would have looked a lot like Paul. But he didn't. He showed us what humanness is, what humanness can be like. He rejected God. And he went the wrong way. He was thrown into the sea. A whale, large fish, swallows him up, and then puts him on land. And then God says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know what? We have Jonah moments in our own lives, don't we? Sometimes it takes different things for each one of us. My journey is different than yours. It's amazing, though, God can get our attention. So, long story longer. <laughs> I'm not doing very quick and being short. <laughs> this is crazy, isn't it? But I'm having fun. I hope you are. Here goes Jonah, and he goes to Nineveh. He goes to Nineveh. And for three days, can, can you imagine the size of the city? I mean, he's not driving through it. He's walking through it, and he must be getting hoarse by the end. I'm not, like, H-O-A-H-O-A. R-S-E, not horse, horse, but his voice. He was, like, can you imagine? What did you say? <laughs> Repent, or God's going to destroy you. He does it for three days. And he's expecting all of that to happen. Let's go to Jonah. See if you can find it. Little book of Jonah. <clears throat> 
Jonah, and we'll dive into, let's see. If you found Obadiah, you're close. <laughs> that was tricky, wasn't it? Yeah. Jonah, let's take a look at, let's just start in verse 1 of chapter 3. Bring it right up where we are. The word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I have bid you. So Jonah arose, as he did, and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. How now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. He had fun saying that. Verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God. What is called? What do you call that? Faith, right? Truth hit them square. And proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For the word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe on him, and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God, yes, and let them turn every one from his evil way. And you know what God did? He didn't destroy them. It says the word in the King James is he repented. It's like he changed his mind, Okay. The idea is the same, but did God change his mind? He didn't need to. He knew exactly what was going to happen. He had a very backwards kind of a prophet that finally went and taught a message that was still the truth, regardless of resistance, and literally that city for a period of time trusted God. That's the power of the Word of God. Two facets, repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9. 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 9. And we've got one more point, and we're going to finish right up. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9. Let's see, there we go. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. That's exactly what Paul did in every place that he evangelized the lost. He would announce the good news, and he fed them the word. Well, we've got three dimensions. We had God. I didn't write these on here, but what was his impression? How did, how did, how did Paul approach the dimension of God. How did he, he serve him, right? He served him. And then in the church, what was that dimension? How did he serve there, if you will? He taught. He taught the word. He taught the truth. And then the lost, he evangelized. So let's take one more look at, and that's himself, the dimension of himself. Let's go back to our text in Acts chapter 20, and let's read verse 21, and then we'll follow in. Testifying both... To the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. We've just talked about that. And now behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy 
and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. You would have to say, if I say Paul, you could say a lot of things. But if I said, describe for me how Paul would have valued his life, his own life. How did Paul respond with all that he was for others? Sacrifice, complete sacrifice. He sacrificed everything for others. It said he was bound in the spirit. Did you see that? Uh, in that? It's a small S. It's not bound in the Holy Spirit. It's bound in the spirit. What does that mean? If you're, if you're bound in the spirit, what does that mean? That's, that's true. Alice said under control, but even more than that. Let's, let's take that to another level. Under control, but what else would we say? What did I do with that? I lost my... Say it one more time. Ooh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so what you said... What did you say? Focused. Focused and directed. Okay. Controlled. Okay. Controlled, directed, focused. I mean laser type. In fact, I don't know what I did with my little laser pointer or whatever. I lost it. Is it in my pocket? That seems to be. Okay, whatever. Okay. So now just to give you an idea of where he is. Now he was, he was, Bound in spirit, he is focused, directed, and I mean passionate about following that laser. It's amazing. I was just thinking, this just came to me, but sometimes those little, those little children, those grandkids in my case, you know how you try to, like, redirect them? Is that, is that the right word? <laughs> Make them forget something? And no, they are focused, laser focused on what they were that they wanted. Now that is literally Paul in a mature way. He was absolutely laser focused on doing what God wanted for him. Currently, what is he wanting to do? He's bound the spirit to go from Miletus to Jerusalem because he is fixed on giving the gifts, the offerings that came from all over the world to give to the poor destitute Jews to literally show there's camaraderie, there's consensus, there's unity within the church that the Gentiles care as much about you as being Jews as you care about them. And it's all one church, one spirit in the same place with love. And he brought representatives from not every church, but from each region. That's what he was fixed to do right now. But what I loved about him, that available word is gone now, but I find this in myself, the older I get, it, in fact, it just, just came to me right now. And it's not special. But the point of the matter is, I don't even know what's behind it yet. So on, what day was this? I take this call out of the blue, a 702 number, which is Billings. Not, not area code, but 406-702-something. And I'm like, well, I don't really want to take that. That sounds like, you know, right? Did your phone have, what's the right word on it? Um, no, um, uh, not, a, not a scam, but this is a... Potential, oh, potential spam, yes, but poten potential, right? I get those all the time. This didn't say that, but I'm going to tell you something. 702 in Billings, that's not a good idea. <laughs> there's all kinds of other prefixes in Billings that are more acceptable, shall we say. And I don't know why, because I was in a hurry. I was about halfway crabby. I was doing something that wasn't working. 
right? Just be honest, I'm right there with you. No, I, you know, I'm there all by myself. Okay, okay. you guys aren't that ever, ever that way. I'm in the shop, I'm in the yard there, and I answer, and it's someone that speaks. Um, as I've thought about it, I would have suggested he might have been from South Africa, okay? But he had a, it wasn't a Billings accent, so say that, okay? Okay, and, I, and I'm done. I mean, I'm just, you know, uh, is, is this Laurie? I'm thinking, and I just said, what do you need? Because I was just going to make, you know, let's get to it. Let's get it over with. You're going to try to sell me something. This is done. You know. um, and he names a guy I'd never heard of, gave me your name, and I'm in the hospital here trying to unhook a trailer, but I'm broke down, and he goes on to this. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? And I said, look, buddy, I'll have to call you back. I, you know, I, I got I don't even have a trailer. He wanted a skid steer or something, and I'm like, where are you at? <laughs> I'm in the hospital in Sheridan, Montana. Okay, that's close, right? So, so I said, tell you what, I got, I got to hang. I got something I have to do, and then I'll call you back. So you know, I did that, and I call him back, and he says, well, I'm just I got to have some posts now or whatever. I said, tell you what, I'm just going to drive in, and I'm going to see what you need, okay? And I did. And his, if, if you think about, it, there's an image trail, if the MRIs or whatever they do in. And there's a trailer that they pull up there. Well, there's like a 3,800-pound engine that sits on the front of the deck, and that was breaking off. So when he drove away with the semi, it would have just fallen on the ground. So it's legitimate. He needs something, right? And he's using language that, I mean, he's, whoa, out there, right? And I'm, how did I get into this? <laughs> but you know, the, this was important. This is, and this is what is important, is I need to be available when God puts things in my life, which, quote, did I have time for it? Probably not. But there's something happened there that God will use somewhere down the trail because I want to make sure that I have enough love for God's people to be able to share not just the word, but you know what? He would listen to me now, right? That guy could call me and he could say, and I could say, do you know, do you know Jesus? He would listen to that, wouldn't he? Because I had to go get my backhoe. I had to go get a couple ties. And then Ted Warhey, he had a chainsaw because I didn't have one. And so we're cutting these things off. And there's another guy that I just met. I believe he's a Christian. It was cool. But it was so easy to not get involved. I could have said, I don't know you. I don't know who you said knew me. I don't have time. Because that's the easy way to go, isn't it? Now, I'm not trying to make anything of me. I'm just saying this. It was just, it was, it was Friday is what it was. It was fr Friday. It was Friday. And just to say this, out of the blue, and this is, this is who Paul was, even though he was so bound in the spirit, he was fixed and focused to do what God had on his plate, he always took a chance, an opportunity. What did he do at Miletus? This is where I'm going with this. They're hung up for a couple of days because he says he sent to the Ephesian elders when they were at Miletus, not before saying, in other words, preparing. He said when they were there, he sent to get them. He was available again just like he was, preached all night long, went into the dawn of the early morning, and he says, I'll tell you what, I'll have those guys take the ship. Let's go walk to Assos, and I want to share some more Bible with you. That's who Paul was. That's who Jesus wants you to be. That's how we make a difference. That was Paul's, now he's, we, we've just got halfway through what you say. Amazing. Yeah, and we're going to stop. We're going to stop. 
But next week, or next, yeah, next week, Lord willing, we're going to be talking about what he's going to talk about with these leaders now and the qualities that they need to move forward. And it's going to come right down to truth again. But let's recap what we have. In the four dimensions that Paul is speaking from his farewell address, he says, guys, I have served God. I have taught the church. I have evangelized the lost. And I have sacrificed self. I can't think of anything better than for us to have as a pattern. It's just like Jesus, isn't it? And the more we trust and the more we look like Jesus, the more that the world around us gets changed. Not because of us, because of whose we are. That's what's important. That's what Paul wanted to get across. Isn't it amazing? You start to part the curtains. Well, how much truth is there? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your love. Thank you for Paul. The further we dig into this, man, it's crazy how you had full control of him. Just like each one of us that's in this room today that have trusted Christ, we have all of the Holy Spirit. But will we be like Paul and give the Spirit all of us? That's literally what he's designed by example. He's shown us in his life. That's what he was showing to these Ephesian elders that literally, you can trust me because I've been with you for three years. And everything that I said was what I did. His character was revealed through integrity. Thank you, Father, for continuing to teach us, to show us as we go forward. We love you. We trust you. May you be glorified. And may we be blessed. In Christ's name, amen.